The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now today we're delving into the buy now, pay later space. It's a relatively new type of personal lending, which essentially involves selling customers' uh, lines of credit. Now we're joined now by Peter Gray, Executive Director, Co-Founder and COO of Zip. Now the, this is an ASX listed company, of course, under the code ZIP. Peter, welcome. Great to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now tell us the Zip story. You, of course, co-founded the company back in 2013, an incredible journey. Um, you've been through the growth of technology, um, expansion internationally. You've been through the COVID pandemic, of course. Tell us about the journey and how you ended up co-founding Zip. Yes, yeah, certainly. So uh, we would consider ourselves pioneers in the BNPL space. As you touched on, um, we founded the company in 2013. And we really identified an opportunity to take uh, what was a fundamentally proven concept of instalments uh, being offered at point of sale implemented technology, consumer-friendly product constructs and brand and delivered uh, a significantly disruptive offer really when compared to traditional point-of-sale finance and, and even credit cards as the opportunity to sort of penetrate has uh, grown over the years. So uh, we built a, a platform entirely from scratch, really focused on customer experiences and that included the merchant side of the ecosystem and using data to uh, really underwrite credit in a new and compliant way that was taking more non-traditional uh, credit data and injecting that into the decision matrix. Timing was was quite fortuitous. Uh, we did um, launch in a, in, a, in a great timing window and we've grown significantly in Australia and really have uh, disrupted that world of unfriendly credit cards with interest to make the economics uh, sustainable for the providers. I think the trends that we've seen in Australia with adoption with over 3 million customers signing up to our platform have also been demonstrated globally. So we, we did uh, have the opportunity to expand the business um, to a global footprint. We currently have 13 markets, um, although we have adjusted our strategy recently with a core focus on Australia and the US. And, um, you know, I think imitation is, is certainly the, the most common form of flattery. And, and we, we see businesses like CBA and, and PayPal now trying to emulate some of the success we've had in, in our growth. What, what makes it different to the other BNPL offerings? Because as you said, there is a lot of competition out there. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of differences which have sort of not always known to the broader community, but we have uh, a different set of values. We've built our business probably slower than some of our competitive peers because we, we do a full credit underwrite on every applicant that signs up to the platform. So we do say no to quite a, a portion of customers and, um, you, you know, that lens of responsibility is very important to who we are. We also offer a slightly different product construct. So um, while many of our competitive peers offer a very rigid pay in four, which means that um, the cost of a purchase is split over four fortnights, we offer our consumers a little bit more flexibility so that they're able to structure the repayments to suit their budget and their lifestyle. Um, they're able to aggregate their purchases in ways not dissimilar to a credit card, but without interest. So that flexibility, that lens of responsibility has built, you know, very strong value in our brand and we resonate, resonate very highly with both our, our consumers and our merchants. And I think if you looked at some of the differences in our business model when compared to, say, a traditional bank, it's, it's that level of trust that, it, that our customers have in our brand. Now, now there are some significant challenges, Peter, in the industry at the moment, you know, especially, I guess, given the concerns over a global economic recession. How concerned are you about bad debts, about rising interest rates, about what that will do to the business? Yeah, it's no doubt it's a pretty external and, and volatile, pretty sorry, pretty volatile external environment. 
look, we're, we're pretty well placed to sort of navigate through, you know, any headwinds that may appear throughout this period. And in, in many instances, will actually be more valuable to both consumers and merchants uh, through this period as consumers attempt to budget and maintain a lifestyle in a, in a rising cost environment. And similarly with merchants um, looking to maintain top line sales via partnerships with businesses like ourselves, you know, off the back of arguably um, stimulus supported top line sales growth. So we would potentially add more value to both our consumers and our merchant partners. Um, in terms of the credit environment, we have invested significantly in our credit and decisioning capabilities. So we uh, really do have a superior ability to underwrite our customers using more, more data inputs than um, most traditional peers. I think, you know, as a, as a strategic setting last year, we were um, on, on a fairly uh, aggressive growth and acquisition style strategy, which did lead to a slight elevation in, in credit losses. So we have adjusted our strategy prior to some of the deterioration in the external environment to deliver better credit outcomes. And from our results today that we released, you can see a material improvement in our credit performance, which uh, you know translates to almost $50 million cash benefit on an annualised basis. So we're really well placed to control our credit outcomes and still deliver growth because it's very early stages in market penetration in a market like the US. So as we continue to add new customers um, and new merchants, we, we are still able to sustainably grow while, while managing our risk. It's been an interesting year for you guys, and you have made some fairly significant strategic uh, decisions over the course of the few months, as you've just sort of been detailing. Now, your co-founder, Larry Diamond, has, of course, just moved to New York to deal with some of the issues that you're facing over there. Um, we just talked a little bit about um, hefty competition. Now, that's not just here as well. That's obviously in the in the States as well. So what's the plan or the strategy rather to, to deal with that going forward in the US specifically? Yeah, I think as you called out, we've adjusted our strategy and um, now we're very heavily focused on fast tracking profitability, but also our two core markets of Australia and the US. So it, it made perfect sense to uh, have Larry on the ground to support the opportunity in that market, you know, to share some of the learnings that we've obviously picked up along the way in markets like Australia. In terms of the, the growth opportunity, clearly the, the, the market and the addressable opportunity, it's a $2 trillion of addressable spend. So it's a, a significant opportunity, you know, to attack and, and in ways that historically has seen multiple credit card providers, you know, very successfully build large businesses. Um, certainly the opportunity for BNPL providers um, in a market like that can support a large number of players to build very profitable businesses. So the, the, the sheer size of the market is, is grossly underestimated by you know many Australians because it's just so different to Australia. I mean, one of the merchants, Best Buy, that we have you know recently integrated with processes over $15 billion US dollars in online sales. Now, that, that's more turnover than JB Hi-Fi does holistically. So, and that's just in their online you know e-commerce site. So, it's very early stages in terms of that uh, addressable opportunity. So there's probably four or five participants focused on on building out their BNPL businesses. So clearly that's a sizable market that can support five players. But it's very important for us that, that we continue to, to grow and uh, deliver outcomes at the same rate as them. And we have differentiated um, on our product construct in other markets. We have provided value to merchants in different ways than some of the competitive peers. And we also have a solution that's equally adaptable to the in-store opportunity, whereas some of our peers, such as PayPal, for example, really do only support um, e-com sales. So we really do see ourselves well-placed and uh, have a very solid platform to, uh, to t firstly take advantage of seasonal peak, which we're coming into, but also to continue to uh, you know grow into that uh, huge market uh, in 2023. Tell us about the regulatory situation in the states, and I know that you have spoken to spoken about this before, um, both yourself and Larry, 
Um, spoken about the fact that the states is likely to move towards the, the type of environment that we have in Australia at the moment. Is there any concern about what, what could or, or is likely to happen on the regulatory framework in the US? Yes, yeah, certainly no concern. Um, we're engaged with CFPB, who is the regulator for credit in the, the US market, and um, they've recently re- released a report um, which details, um, you know, some of the activities and, um, you know, operating models that they see in the sector. And I think it was a pretty fair and balanced report. It, it, it really did debunk a few of the myths that uh, do permeate, i.e. less than 5% of customers were, were late in any given scenario. Um, and um, the cost of products and services in the BNPL space was much lower on the consumer side than it was for traditional credit cards, et cetera, with interest. So it was a very fair and balanced report that definitely called out the benefits. In terms of um, you know, the regulatory landscape moving forward, they, they clearly have an intent to, to regulate um, the services um, probably in the next 12 to 36 months. And, and what that might mean in a, in a market like the US is marginally different to Australia. In Australia, we're very focused on responsible lending and ensuring affordability at the time of um, engaging or, or signing up to a service. The US is very much focused on disclosure at the point of application. So typically what that would mean for a regulated product would be um, a TILA box, which is a truth in lending um, compliance box, which basically demonstrates the fees and charges that are applicable to the service a consumer is about to sign up for. So we actually present that already online. So we're compliant should any change, um, you, know, you know, persist through with regards to disclosure. Two other obvious areas of focus for the regulator in the US is probably positive reporting to a credit bureau. So they might make um, BNPL providers provide data on customer performance back to the credit bureau. So that's not mandatory in a marketplace like Australia, um, but it is an opportunity for consumers to potentially improve their credit score through uh, solid management of of BNPL services. So again, that's not a huge impost on the industry and it's probably beneficial to consumers, um, particularly as we're quite popular with younger generations who may not have necessarily had as much exposure uh, to credit products. And I think thirdly for the US, they're very conscious about um, data and what uh, participants in industry are, are doing um, with the data that they obtain from their services. Clearly, they're coming off some negative um, you know, scenarios with the likes of Facebook. So they are very heavily focused on data usage, how it's on-sold to third parties, how you market with that data. So again, for a business like Zip, who doesn't sell or share any of its data with third parties, um, that is not going to be any sort of impost to us continuing. So, um, you know, at a high level, um, we're very supportive of of the CFPB and uh, their intent and uh, look forward to working with them for fit for purpose regulation. Okay. Um, Now, you talked a little bit about your numbers, which have just been released, of course, and they are pretty impressive when you look at the the growth growth in revenue. Now, at the moment, and correct me, Peter, if I'm wrong, you're profitable in Australia, um, but not yet in in the US. Uh, Let's talk about the path to profitability. Is is that still likely to happen overall in the overall business by uh, the first half of 2024? Yeah, that's 100%. So um, we're on target to to, to hit or better that. So um, as you touched on, the Australian business has been very profitable for three or four years now. It delivered a cash EBITDA result of, of $28 million profit in the last financial year. So it really does demonstrate um, the strong unit economics that uh, and the numbers that can be delivered once a business reaches scale. So um, we very positive outcomes remain in Australia. With the US business, We it's no secret we have reset um, to deliver on some of our unit economics prior to um, the seasonal peak and the largest input to those, those unit economics was credit performance. And um, as we've touched on, we, we made a significant improvement to those levels. 
it's it's likely at a high level the US business will be close to cash flow break even um, due to seasonality in this coming in this quarter now Q2, and um, you know that changes a little bit um, next calendar year off the back of that movement to seasonality. But with um, the improvements to the US business, a reduction in our rest of world um, cash burn, and continued improvements to Australia, um, we're certainly on track to um, you know hit that first quarter FY24 um, forecast. As part of those strategic decisions that, that you've referred to um, this year, you've you've recently exited the UK and the Singapore markets. Do you have any plans to return? I mean, what, what's your outlook when it comes to those markets? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, we really do still believe in the opportunity in those markets. And um, obviously, it's very early stages for BNPL being delivered in, in the form that, that we have delivered it in. Um, so we, we still, you know, fundamentally believe that uh, it's a generational shift away from traditional credit products that, um, you, you know, will continue to persist and provide opportunity. I, I think what our call out was that, um, you know, in response to the change in the external environment, we needed to fast track profitability and um, some markets which were further away from that profitability um, milestone required um, additional capital to, to get them there. And, um, you know, we need to preserve our capital to take control of our own destiny um, by being profitable and, and not rely on capital markets in an you know, a, a deteriorating external environment. So it's it's not a it's it's not necessarily a we'll never be back there. It's just in the short term we're not supporting that operation, but we fundamentally believe in the opportunity there. So, you know, who's to know in the future whether or not there will be um, you know, the opportunity to, to dip our toe back into that market and obviously entry um, you know, could be in, in any one of a variety of forms. So it's definitely not a, a never, it's just a, a not now. What other, um, in terms of geographic areas, are you reviewing now? Yeah, so we have a strategic review on all of our rest of world footprint. And uh, the objective for, for that strategic review is to neutralise the cash burn um, from all of those markets down to zero by um, you, you know the first half of next calendar year. So the markets we're specifically referring to um, is a business called Tw- Twisto, which is um, in Europe. Um, Spotty in the Middle East. We have Payflex in uh, in South Africa. We have um, a Mexican business as well. So um, all of those jurisdictions would be subject to, to the review process. And, and um, obviously, there's a number of ways that we could um, achieve the uh, neutralising the burn. We could we could wind them down. We could run them at, at lower volumes, or we could divest. So that's really the exercise that we're undertaking at the moment. We hope to have more to say to market, um, you know, on those processes um, in the next three months. So when I, um, if I look ahead over sort of the next sort of three to five years, and I know that's a very long time when it comes to technology and advancements there, how do you see this sector as a whole panning out? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think, um, you know, what, what, what is proven is despite the ex- external noise that the BNPL really is here to stay and it's very early stages of the opportunity how we acquire our customers, how we engage with them, what additional products and services can be offered uh, via a trusted brand. And I think the fact that, you know, banks like CBA and, and National Australia Bank are on their second or third iteration of trying to engage in similar ways with, with consumers um, really does validate that. And, um, you know, the shift is is not a fad. It's, it's here to stay. So a significantly, um, you know, blue sky future in terms of continued growth on, on acquisition, continued engagement, the ability to cross-sell a, a range of products that meet customer demand, 
um, in ways that traditional credit products may may not continue to do so. So so very uh, very bullish about the future in in a market like Australia, and um, you know with three million customers on the platform already, we still see um, significant runway for for new customers um, and how we grow with them. Uh, in terms of their their financial needs and how we can meet those needs, similarly in a market like the US, um, you know, less than four percent of online spend is is being made, uh, you know, via BNPL, and you know, many analysts have that number growing to twenty percent of of all volume. So, not to mention the in store opportunities. So, really early stages. So, again, in a market like the US, um, we certainly foresee penetration in ways not dissimilar to what um, Zip and Afterpay have done in Australia in terms of that market share, that engagement with millions and millions of customers and the increasing levels of adoption. We, we're continuing to drive higher frequency and, and more engagement with customers even in a more mature marketplace like Australia. So so when you look at the the data that you have in hand as, as a result, of course, of, of what you do, um, Peter, you have an insight that not many do into spending habits, not just here in Australia, but right around the world. When I sort of started off by talking to you about the threat of a global recession, what do your numbers tell you on that in terms of what you're seeing now? Yeah, so again, I think um, we're quite well protected um, for, for two reasons. In, in a more mature market like Australia, um, the product construct that we offer for our consumers um, does actually support them in their everyday spend budgeting as well. So I think if you sort of consider some of the outcomes of a a recessionary environment, it really is a decrease in discretionary spend, potentially travel, you know, clothes and, and those sorts of verticals where consumers are looking um, potentially to either manage that spend um, via splitting the cost over time with a solution like ours or not making it all but focused on their everyday spend. So we have a penetration of, of volume in Australia that, that helps customers with, with bills, with groceries, with petrol and fuel and some of these other, um, you know, items that, um, you know, yeah, are sort of needed every day and are also obviously subject to, to price increases um, given the world that we live in. So we do provide additional benefit in, in a market like Australia. So even if discretionary spend came off, um, our volume um, would, would still be maintained and clearly um, in a market like Australia, again, um, employment numbers are remaining very strong, which is um, you know a key driver of some of our, our performance metrics with regards to credit as well. Um, in a market like the US, it's fair to say that it's probably a little bit more volatile and deteriorating faster than Australia and is potentially closer to recession. The uh, the opportunity we have there is to continue to grow because we, we're so small in terms of the addressable opportunity. So adding new merchants like Best Buy, which I've referred to, which is effectively increasing our opportunity at the top of the funnel um, in terms of customers and transaction volume, while we're able to probably be more discretionary in terms of our risk appetite, um, given a change to external um, i.e. approve less customers because the external environment is more volatile and, um, you know, bad debts could rise for certain cohorts of customers. We're able to grow by um, just penetrating the market more broadly. So I think arguably we're really well placed in, in both our core markets to continue um, to deliver very strong results, even if, uh, you know, the external environment continued to deteriorate. So, so what can we expect from uh, Zip in the next sort of 6 to 12 months, Peter? Yeah, I think um, continued growth in our, our key top line metrics, um, you know, transaction volume now that we've sort of gone through a, a reset of the business, we're, we're well placed to manage our risk appetite to, to grow our transaction volume, um, clearly coming into the seasonal peak that we will benefit from um, this seasonal quarter. So strong transaction volume growth, I think our active customer numbers um, will grow, that will be an area of focus. 
Um, very important revenue, uh, metric is revenue, as you touched on, it's up 20% to 163 million in this quarter. I think what you, we would also need to see is our net transaction margin move inside our targeted range of two and a half to three off the back of improved credit results. We're pretty much um, close to achieving that result now. Um, continued reduction in our cash burn, um, particularly in regard to the rest of world markets that, uh, that we touched on um, during the call. Uh, I think also um, that that profitability trigger or, or that threshold. Once we really sort of um, you know hit the hit the profitability business on a monthly basis, that will be a very very positive catalyst for the business. And I think we also would look to be retiring some of our debt over the period, so we have an opportunity to to continue to retire some of our liabilities as, as we've done in the last quarter, uh, where we retired forty million dollars of debt. It sounds like it's going to be a really interesting uh, year for you, Peter. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. Yeah, pleasure. So uh, very pleased with the progress and the reset the business has undertaken and we're really well positioned for a a positive future. And congratulations on your recently released results too. Thank you. Thank you so much. So thank you for all of our listeners as well, of course, who's joined us today on the podcast. Uh, We will catch you next time with more Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Mm -hmm.